This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for joining this episode of Future of Agriculture. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Want to give a special thank you to Marius Wolf, who recently joined our FOA community. You can join Marius and others over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Those of you who have listened to the show for at least a year or so know of my interest in what I refer to as direct-to-consumer agriculture. What we've seen so far in 2020 has brought to the mainstream spotlight some of the challenges with our supply chains and some of the opportunities for entrepreneurial farmers to capture more of the value of what they produce. We have another one of those entrepreneurial producers on the show here today. This is a really cool one. Jason Purcell often is referred to as the gourmet farmer. He's the owner of Pristine Gourmet in Waterford, Ontario, Canada. During the mid to late 90s, Jason, a fourth generation farmer, was realizing his love for business and his desire to add value to the farm operation. He and his wife, Linda, bought another farm and built a grain drying and storage facility. Searching for business ideas the two could embark upon, Jason read an article about cold-pressed oils small companies in Europe were producing. This really intrigued Jason to dig deeper into the idea of turning soybeans on his 1,000-acre farm into an oil product for cooking. In 2005, Pristine Gourmet was formed with the vision of supplying the food industry with quality, local, non-GMO artisan foods. Today, through the brand Pristine Gourmet Pure Virgin Oils, Jason produces non-GMO cold-pressed products, all of which are 100% pure Canadian from field to table. Jason and Pristine Gourmet believe in three pillars, heritage, passion, and craftsmanship, and continuously work to build businesses and brands around those values. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Jason gives some backstory in his own words on how this whole thing got started. I think most of it started back about 13, 14 years ago. We were looking to do something valley added in the farm. We're a multi-generational farm, commodity-based farm, and we wanted to, I wanted to really see how we could develop more profitability in the, with the farm, long-term strategy, and how can we steer away a little bit from being just a commodity-based, completely reliant on commodity. Someone else telling me what my products are worth, right? And so I ended up, you know, going down a many paths of, you know, what we could do. We kind of settled on this is, is something that kind of interests me. And I looked at, you know, multiple different types of industries or something that we could do on the farm that added value to what we grow. So we settled on, on an oil mill, started out very humble, like, very small beginnings of just tabletop press. We wanted just to see you know, what the product was. Could we sell it? What's the flavor like? We had no idea. I had never done this before. So there was a few years of just kind of not really knowing if this is something we wanted to do. And we kind of just stumbled along for a while until, you know, at some point I said to my wife, we need to either do this or not. So we grabbed the bull by the horns, developed out a business plan, 
a strategic plan and really start building a brand. Our target back in those early years were really, we thought, you know, we would sell oil, our virgin oils into into the retail sector. And that was fine, but it was really difficult to kind of penetrate that mainstream category in a, in a retail setting. You know, just by doing your own groceries that, there, you know, that, that aisle is generally inundated with uh, skews of all kinds of different oils and to stand out and amongst that crowd is very difficult. Hmm. And so we just kind of kept moving on and, he, and realizing that, you know, this is going to be a struggle for us. And we started making some relationships with some chefs, with some restaurants here locally in Ontario. We're about an hour and a half west of Toronto, which is a huge kind of an epicenter of Ontario for an urban setting and plus a culturally restaurants, everything. So we made a good connections with some good key chefs and that was kind of just the beginning of where we are now, just starting out with chefs and realizing that that is really our focus of where our brand is going to be widely accepted. Um, chefs just love new products, something that's local to them, something that has a story that's direct from the farm. We have the ability to invite them out to the farm. The, several times they'll bring their team out, just do crop tours, farm tours, and go through our mill and we just, you know, really engaging conversations with them about how we farm and the kind of the biodiversity of our farm and how it's, you know, was kind of brought down through generations of my grandfather and how he was very adamant about being good stewards of our land and our, in our, you know, our waterways, our habitats that are around us and, you know, all these things, all these topics are really engaging for the consumer, but for these chefs. And they just totally really kind of latched onto that. And I think that that's where it's kind of helped us develop to be kind of where we are today. So those very humble beginnings in the beginning, I look back and it's kind of, you kind of laugh and you go, wow, <laughs> what were we thinking? And then today we've kind of expanded out into different areas, not just in food service, but we're also key ingredient suppliers for food manufacturing, which thank the Lord <laughs> right now in the midst of what we're going through, uh, our restaurant business basically turned off like a light switch overnight. So, you know, half of our sales just ended that like that. So thank goodness we have, you know, our bulk ingredient supply that's kind of keeping the mill, keeping the lights on, keeping people here and, whatnot but that's kind of a where we were and how we got started and why hopefully i kind of touched on a lot of things there but yeah you did the the bulk ingredient part has that you have you seen an uptick in that at all or are they kind of maxed out on capacity how does that look we are maxed out in capacity just to serve that industry right now we pivoted everything we do in the mill in the past three weeks to be 100 percent on sunflower oil that is the oil that is in high demand and that's kind of our flexibility. We we have the ability here to press sunflower canola, uh, soybean oil. We also do pumpkin seed oil, and we do a little bit of hemp seed as well. But primarily, sunflower is our, our, our bulk amount in canola oil. Because the restaurant industry basically closed off, we didn't need any other oils at all kind of in stock. So we just pivoted everything to, to sunflower oil. 
and we're in the middle of expansion now too. So <laughs> everybody here on my team says, well, that was really good timing, Jay. <laughs> you know, like right in the middle of a pandemic trying to install six more presses into the mill. It's becoming wow. a, it's a little bit of a challenge, but yeah. So which of those crops do you grow? And then do you have to procure some of the oil seeds from, from other other farmers? Yeah. So we grow sunflowers here. We also grow, you know, bunch of different types of soybeans for different markets. We grow soybeans for edamame. So as a, as a fresh bean that gets harvested in late summer, it goes through an IQF process, but we're just under contract with that, that crop. So we just grow it. We have a company that comes and takes it. Then we grow soybeans for the mill here as well. And then we grow just regular commodity beans and a lot of sunflowers. And then the canola we bring in from Northern Ontario. We're just not right in the right area for growing good quality canola we're just too far south in ontario i mean you can it's just we kind of have to pick our battles too of what we want to grow on the farm and then with sunflowers we we utilize 100 percent of our own sunflowers and then we also utilize uh, a fair bit of sunflowers from manitoba so we procure a fair bit of man, uh, sunflowers from manitoba okay and the hemp oil, you said you're just doing a little bit of that. Is that for edible purposes or are people using it for other things? Yeah, it's for edible purposes only. Okay. We do have our license as well to grow hemp for CBD. So we are working with that a little bit. But that industry is kind of a little bit on hold right now just because everything else is going on around us. But right. yeah, those are our, our primary products that we, we produce. But I, I will also say... It's not just so much about the oil that we produce here, but it's our byproducts or I should probably say co-product. So all the spent seed, so all the sunflower meal, canola meal, soybean meal. We don't have an issue of, you know, finding a home for that in the feed industry. Uh, you know, as, uh, we can get rid of that every day, no problem. What we've wanted to do is develop a more of a higher margin product line with that. So we partnered with two other food companies here in Ontario under a project with uh, Protein Industries Canada, and just developing further uses to the to the protein uh, out of that meal. There's a lot of still, opportunities still for with animal that. feed or for something else for food. Yeah. Oh wow. For human consumption. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, going back to earlier, when you first started, it sounded like you were, you looked into a lot of different things. Obviously you're entrepreneurial, so you probably had a lot of different sort of concepts floating around. Can you share some of your runners up and maybe what, what made you choose to go this route? Yeah, I I will say like this type of thinking that I had go through my head was kind of post My wife and I had bought this farm that our mill sits on back in the late 90s, the end of 97, 98, going in there somewhere, I can't remember exactly, but it had a reason why we bought it, two reasons was farmland, but it also had a grain storage, had a couple existing grain bins on there. We wanted to build an elevator and corn dryer, a grain dryer, and, you know, expand that, our storage. It also had a barn on there, an implement barn that was a little bit run down. It really wasn't, couldn't be used for anything. It was a, you know, an implement barn that was built in the early 70s. So our equipment nowadays, nothing fits in it. <laughs> Not tall enough, wasn't wide enough, you know, everything is 50 by 100 implement barn. So, you know, that's when I started thinking, you know, is there something that we could be doing extra? And so some of the, some of the roads that we, I looked down to quite extensively was, you know, could I put a small feed mill in? and start making our own feed and serving some market in our our own area. I think my dad was probably the one (laughs) that probably steered me away from that industry and said, you know, 
try to think. He, he, he was a, a big advocate for me. We'll say that he just he really pushed me to do something completely different. We looked at, you know, should we put up some poultry barns? We mapped out a few different scenarios. Poultry was one of them. We did the math on that. We did the math on doing a feed mill. And my dad said, you know what? I, I think if it, was, if it was me, I would go completely in the opposite direction of something completely new that nobody else is doing. That's what we ended up doing. There's some days I wonder why, but <laughs> there's a lot. of It's very rewarding, too. I, I won't say it's not discouraging by any stretch. Uh, you do have those days of discouragement, but I'm happy that we chose this path. It's been an interesting ride, ride uh, Tim. We, you know, I would never have imagined back in those early days that we would have. I would have come in contact with some of the industry professionals that I have been in contact with. You know, literally all over, you know, the U.S., Canada, internationally, just a long list of a network. It's been really enjoyable to kind of meet that, you know, and a number of years back, I did some work with Bungie down out of White Plains, New York, and also St. Louis. And, you know, they were great folks to work with. I, I learned a lot with them, was able to make a lot of great contacts within that company. And yeah, they're just... That part I found and still find really enjoyable just to meet people, people like you, you know, that, that are in the industry. And yeah, I find that really, really interesting and, and something that I don't take lightly and know that it's a big part of our business of, uh, of where we are today was building that network. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun as I've done these kind of more direct to consumer type stories. It's funny how much it comes up, kind of the sentiment of, you know, I didn't really know how much I'd really like my customers. Like, I, I really, I got to really like these people. And it's kind of yeah. fun to, to get to know that, having a reason to get to know them better. I think that's a, that's a cool part of it all. I'm really curious about, so you, you wondered if you could do this. So you bought a tabletop press, which I imagine, you know, is, is not something that you could use for any sort of commercial purposes. What was the leap from the, you know, the tabletop press to the first commercial part of the oil mill? What kind of investment did that take on your part? Yeah, so the tabletop press we bought used, and I paid maybe around, I'm going to say four or five thousand bucks Canadian for it. So maybe you know two or three thousand US for it. After that, it was I, our initial investment was about a hundred grand just to to get the mill kind of built. And we design everything in our mill. So my family is. Know, very crafty at that. You know, we've always yeah. been great at manufacturing and kind of engineering what we how we want to set things up. And so it saved us a lot of money being able to do a lot of the mill writing ourselves. But yeah, it's I wanted to take it slow because you know when you're doing something completely new, there was no roadmap. Like there was no handbook. There was very little information on the internet at that time, you know, the early two thousands to search out how to press your own oil in a semi uh, commercial way. Yeah. So it was, uh, I didn't want to get, you know, too far ahead of myself. And so I wanted to make sure that the investment we took was a risk that, you know, I was able, willing to lose if something went south. Right. So thankfully it didn't do that, but you know, it's just kind of grown everything else from there. It's just, we expanded right now, like we're on our third time expanding right now with a, with a mill. And I think the, the biggest attribute I can say to that is that we took it slow and allowed the business to grow organically. 
we had a lot of people had consultants Tim telling me at the beginning, oh, Jason, you know, you got to invest some money. You got to bring in some outside investment and then we'll just blow this thing up and get it pushed out the door and start hitting markets hard, 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 hard. You know, there's something that's never sat well with me in my stomach about that. I think one was just I struggle with, you know, giving up ownership to an idea, but I just didn't, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me that I would take on that much risk and investment and all that. So I went down the path of just letting it grow organically, which is painful at times because you wonder, you know, when is this ever going to get going? And it just takes time. All good things take time and you work hard at it. And that network that you've worked at for three or four years starts coming around. Pretty soon you have contacts that you've had in a certain industry. Hey, Jay, I remember you did this, this, and this. And you're still doing that. And pretty soon we were entering different markets. And I never would have dreamt that, but I met that person six years ago. And so it just takes time and that development. And I'm happy that we, we took the path that we did to just let it grow on its own and allowed us to keep up to the capital investment of it, of it all. Because, you know, if I was to do what I'm doing now with this investment I have here now, back in those days, I probably would never have slept a wink every night. It just is a lot to lay out on the table. But when you do it slow, it doesn't feel so painful and you're allowing the your investment to keep paying back and you can see that, you know, okay, I've leaped forward this much. This is how much more I've been able to you know, penetrate the market and see the response and the payback out of it. So. Right. And how long ago was that that you sold your first bottle of oil? It was about 06, 05, 06 is when we started really kind of putting out the brand. And I can still remember my wife and I, we're only about 45 minutes to less than an hour from Niagara area. So mm-hmm. a lot of great restaurants down there and wineries and whatever. One of our first customers of the restaurants down in the Niagara area, real nice high-end restaurants. My wife and I thought, you know, we'll treat ourselves, go to it. I think that was the most, we still remember us today, you know, sitting in that restaurant, the chef, Stephen came out and greeted us, you know, place is packed. You know, everybody is looking at you like, who's this guy? <laughs> just a farmer. And he come out just to thank me, you know, just really almost embarrassing but at the same time you were just like wow this is this is what it's all about you know he just totally was so appreciative of us coming to his restaurant and that moment when we're eating the meal knowing that our oil was used in this dish that we're eating was just mind-blowing so that's fantastic yeah you know i never take those times for for granted yeah that was just a big accomplishment for us i think that is really really cool what what about the food safety side of things? You know, is it, I'm sure there's a lot of regulations on that side. Has that part been been a challenge? Yes and no. I shouldn't say it has been a challenge. We've got all the you know the HACCP. We're going down through some other food safety measures, but no, it hasn't been too bad. We we were able to you know bring in a consultant to really kind of help us through kind of navigating what we needed to do to kind of build up our food safety and make it you know as robust as we can uh, our mill and what we do here it's not a they call it a, a low risk facility right so we providing you do your gmps your it's called you know your good ma- food manufacturing processes common sense your risk factor is not really high with our oil mill because nothing harbors in, in an oil but still once we had got the, identified those things and some of the areas that we needed to to look at 
it wasn't wasn't too bad. Once you start doing it, it's actually not all that hard at all. It's just implementing it, and then everybody on the team kind of gets used to this is how we need to document stuff. This is how for traceability, and everybody just gets in a groove, and then and then it's fine. But it's that that initial three to four months when everybody's you're trying to get everybody on board, it's a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, yeah. Did you I mean, did you hire a consultant for that part to initially get set up? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We we hired a consultant, and he was directly related to the third party audits that do our our annual audits in our in our facility. So yeah, it uh, if you want to get into some of the markets we're in, it, it's a must. I mean, yeah. that is probably the only thing that I really struggle with. I, I don't have a problem with food safety; it's absolutely important. But the problem I have more is just the different systems that are out there. There's so many and not everybody is on the same system. So, and they're expensive. Like, I mean, if you, you look at GAP, you look at SQF, BRC, HACCP, they're all different and they all come with a big price tag. And yeah. it's really, that part I find really difficult just to kind of navigate which ones we want to invest in. It's always a challenge on the, on those things, but yeah, we're just we just kind of we wait till the customer really kind of demands us to have a certain level of safety or audit or whatever. But you know, we offer this is our HACCP plan, this is our third party audit, these are our GMPs, and then anything above that, then we have to look further to. But right, how many employees just on the oil side do you have now? Yeah. So pre-COVID, <laughs> we had three three employees that are in the mill work, and uh, we have an operations guy who looks after basically managing the whole mill in terms of daily activity. He also is the primary person that does all the filtration of the oil. And then I have two other junior mill operators that look after the uh, seed processing. So inbound, inbound seed, seed goes through you know various different components to get to the before the presses seed cleaners seed sizers dehullers air classifiers all that stuff i'll take somebody to to manage that during the day and yeah so it's not one of those like our mill we're able to expand the way we are right now and not really take on how much more labor to to run it everything we do here we've been able to keep very automated the presses run 24-7 uh, unmanned, so they run through the nighttime. Nobody's here. Just something goes wrong. Everything's sensor actuated, so you know if there's a failure or a, you know, a power interruption or anything like that, it just shuts everything down, and whoever's in first in the morning time just goes through the startup procedure again. So we'd be, that, you know, that enables us to cut back on a fair bit of labor that would be needed for that. Yeah, it's nice to know that uh, your mill's making you money while you're sleeping in the night. Yeah. Yeah. All three of the employees are probably, you know, sheltered in place, I imagine. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, it's uh, wild times we're living in here. No kidding. (laughs) So uh, you've got the restaurant business, you've got the bulk ingredient business and that you're retailing online, right? Some of them online. Yep. Yes. Well, we, we sell our oils online through our website. They can go right to the website, use the credit card, PayPal, whatever they want, and it gets shipped out direct from from that. Cool. And all the products are they're kind of cooking oils essentially. Yep. Yeah. So what we do for the retail, these are all cold press, and we call them virgin. Very similar to like an extra virgin olive oil. The really the 
the meaning behind that is that we we only first press the oil so we first press it under very strict requirements of temperature one of the things that's very important about an oil is the temperature of how you process it so the cooler you can keep the oil under extraction the better quality the better tasting the color the aromatic features the antioxidant levels higher everything it's just a better oil so we just filter the oil straight out from the press and then that is our extra virgin sunflower oil or canola oil that we market to food service restaurants we also do a hybrid fryer oil which is a culmination of a canola oil and our our sunflower oil and we sell that out to uh to restaurants in in bulk form and I know everybody's got their own preference, but, for, you know, in, in your eyes, or, or maybe you could tell us kind of the science behind it, what are the big differences between, let's say, like a sunflower oil and a canola oil? And then also, I'm curious, I, I want to ask separately maybe about pumpkin oil, because I some I never even heard of. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's kind of the reason why we do the oils that we do, is because they're drastically different from each other, and their applications are different. So you have to bear with me, these applications and how we kind of put this together is really geared towards the chef. And so that is our mind. Everything beyond that is for the consumer. But if you're going to go for, you know, one an oil that has very robust some flavor, you know, it's nutty, it's got a lot of color, something that a chef could get really excited about using. Wouldn't have to do anything to the oil. You can just use it straight up in a salad dressing or in a marinade or anything like that, he would want to go to our canola oil. We call it kind of our queen of oils when it comes to flavor. It's very impactful. It's uh, mm. got a real nice flavor that just kind of rolls into the back of your palate. It's a nice tasting oil. Next down from that would be our, our soybean oil. And a lot of people have never had any of these oils virgin. So these are you know exactly the way nature intended the oils to taste like. So when somebody tastes our canola oil, they go, that doesn't taste like the canola oil I got in my pantry. So that's because mm -hmm. your canola oil's RBD. It's been refined, bleached, and deodorized for a very specific market. But it's vanilla in flavor. And they've just never had a canola oil that's been so full of flavor before. And I'm like, that's the way nature intended the oil to taste like. So, yeah, you don't want to use that oil in a deep fryer. But it's very, you know, it's a great oil to use in salad dressings or, you know, pan frying or or on a marinade or on the barbecue, um, any type of applications like that. So then the next down from that would be our soybean oil, and it has more like a, a unami flavor, a milder flavor than the canola oil, but kind of a more maybe more nuttier flavor of an oil. The unique thing about the soybean oil, opposed to any of the other oils we have, is the viscosity of the, that oil. At room ambient temperature, it has a very thick viscosity to it. And most people would go, yeah, so what, what, what does that mean? Well, for a chef, and they're using a garnish. And this oil, you got to remember, is very bright yellow. It's like egg yolk yellow. Just a, It bounces on a white dish. Hmm. Chef's eyes just light up when they see it. But the key thing that they like about it as a garnish is that it holds a pattern. So you know a chef, they're very creative, and they want their plates to look perfect. So when they're in the back and they're throwing plates together and they're like, boom, 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 they drizzle, shh, shh, shh. They've got ample time for their servers to come grab that dish, take it out to their their guests, and it's held its pattern. It does not run to the center of the dish. And I remember our first chef that I ever used that, he goes, my God, like, he goes, I, it's so much clinger, uh, clings to the plate so much stronger than an olive oil. He goes, I'm, it's amazing. He goes, I can throw it on a dish, and he goes, it's got lots of time to get to a guest, and it's still holding its pattern so perfectly. 
Oh, um, I would have never thought of that. Yeah, no, I didn't either. So, but I, <laughs> that, that is one of the reasons that's probably, you know, it's one of its sole purposes in the food service is as a garnish only. Right. And then the next one down from that is our sunflower oil. And it's quite a bit lighter in tasting. So it has a real nice, light, you know, freshly harvested sunflower taste. So if you taste sunflower seeds, that's how the oil tastes like. It is probably the one of the only oils that we have that nobody can mistake in what that oil is. It just mm-hmm. tastes all sunflower right from start to finish. It's lighter tasting, lighter in color, and lighter in aromatic. But most widest range of applications in the kitchen. You can literally throw that oil straight up into a deep fryer, which, by the way, does amazing French fries in that oil because it just takes takes on the flavor of the sunflower oil. And my gosh, it's so good. But you can literally, it's just cold, hot applications, you know, all over the place for sunflower oil. So those are the three different, you know, main oils that we do into food service. And they all have their kind of their their space that they, they operate in. Some chefs only use one. Some of them use all three. The pumpkin seed oil, similar to like the sunflower oil, it's you can't mistake in it. You When you taste it, you go, well, that's definitely pumpkin seed oil. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very dark color. If you look mm-hmm. at it in a clear glass container, it has a almost a maroon color to it but when you pour it out on a plate it's dark green so it's just the way the glass either reflects light through it but it changes the color of it yeah pumpkin seed oil uh what we we do a little bit differently here is that we don't offer a roasted pumpkin seed oil which typically is the pumpkin seed oil if you're at a retail you know a gourmet store and buying pumpkin seed oil it is roasted pumpkin seed oil our oil we've kept the pumpkin seed completely raw so it's a raw fresh pumpkin seed oil not roasted it's just straight up so and what's generally that used for yeah similar types of applications in the kitchen salad dressings they'll okay. use it as a flavor enhancer to a marinade or anything like that it's it's an oil that we we produce here it wouldn't get used uh, capacity volume wise as much as like maybe our sunflower oil would but it certainly complements in they would, you know, think twice about blending the, a little bit of that pumpkin seed oil in with one of one of the other oils to flavor enhance something that they're they're doing, right? So. Yeah, no, it makes sense. This is so cool. What about shelf life with your oils because they are so fresh and you're not doing the extra processes? Does it affect the shelf life at all? Yeah, for our benefit, because we are processed, we're able to keep the temperature fairly low. Um, and when I say low, I mean just a bit warmer than body temperatures pretty much our exit temperature of the, the oil when it comes off our presses, the antioxidant levels very high. And we're able to, if the customer looks after the oil, it has about a 14 to 15 month shelf life. Wow. Yeah. There's three things that deteriorate an oil's shelf life, and that's oxygen, UV, and heat. So if you can mitigate the three of those, the oil will last a long time. Very interesting. Well, cool. And anyone listening that wants to go just pick up some of their own, is it pristinegourmet.com? Yes, it is. Yep. All right. All right. Pristinegourmet.com. Jason, I really appreciate this. This has been fun. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's a, it's a really, really cool business. And I don't know, I can't think of anyone else that I've encountered that's kind of doing the same thing, especially, you know, that sunflower oil you could just get right from the person who's physically growing the sunflowers and, and soybeans too, it sounds like. So that's really cool. 
Thanks so much to Jason for being on the show. And go buy some of his oil there. You can do so at pristinegourmet.com, and they ship internationally. So wherever you are, head over to pristinegourmet.com. I hope this story will inform and inspire other entrepreneurial farmers to find market opportunities to build brands and capture more value. If you've got cool stories like that, especially if they sell online, I'd love to hear about them. I certainly love stories like this. If you're enjoying the podcast in general, please consider leaving us a rating and review or better yet. You know what? Don't even do that. Go share it with somebody you think might also enjoy it. Thanks as always for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Music.